Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page and for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chidgey, and today I'm joined once again by Vic Hudson. How you doing, Vic? I'm good, John. Trying to fight off a cold, but I'm here. Um, I, I appreciate the sacrifice. It's uh, I know it's winter over there at the moment. It's the opposite for me here. But um, sorry, um, I'm, I hope you're um, feeling a little bit better than you were a few days ago. I actually am. Today is probably the best day of the week. Four days ago, I wasn't sure I would make it to the end of the week. Oh dear. Oh, that's not good. Yes. Um. It's. Uh, I hear it's a bit of a rough winter over there. Actually. It. Uh. It's been a weird winter. <laughs> Okay. It's it's cold now though. <laughs> we've had we've had let's see, I, I mowed the yard last week and I don't usually mm. mow the yard in December. <laughs> that is odd. Yeah, yeah, okay. So grass is growing. That's weird. Um yeah, hopefully this time was actually the last time, unlike the previous time that I thought was gonna be the last time. <laughs> God, okay. Yeah, we, we we still have to mow the yard in winter here once a month usually. But yeah. Um, yeah, it gets manic in summertime. Um, in summertime, it's like every two weeks, maybe every week if it rains a lot, which is annoying. Yeah. But at least the at least the grass isn't dead. That's the thing that I thought was weird when I was living in Calgary is that the grass just goes brown and just stops. Just it looks like it's dead, and you're like, oh man, that's depressing. Yeah. But anyway, and then of course spring melt comes and it's a beautiful green and everything's happy, and then all the weeds yeah. come up and you've got to spray the weeds and it's like, Ugh. anyway. Yeah, mine don't usually stay green year round, but it just kind of stops growing during the winter. It turns, it turns, it turns brown in the middle of the summer when we drought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 a constant. Yeah, I've got the same here. Th- thankfully, we haven't had a drought for a while, which is good. Yeah. But anyway, as as awesome as that is, um, I actually have been wanting to talk about today's. Um, topic for quite some time, uh, nearly two months, in fact, but I never really had the opportunity. And in addition, I wanted to make sure I had a chance to play with these things first. And I'm talking about the new touch bar on the uh, MacBook Pros. Mm-hmm. So they were announced a couple months back and they've been available now for a little while. And I've been out to an Apple store. It is and the another- new hotness. It is the new hotness. That's right. I've been out to an Apple store as well as a uh, JB Hi-Fi, which stock Apple stuff. And I've played mm-hmm. with these um, quite a bit because I've been trying to get my head around whether or not these things are, in fact, um, a good idea or not. It's, it's They're certainly very interesting. Have you actually had a play with uh, I have touch not. Bar? I, uh, first, let me clarify. You did not throw your tablet out the window and go buy one? No. Okay. No, I did not. It will okay. become clear why not shortly but hmm. yeah okay no i actually i haven't i have not had a chance to go play with it yet okay. i think it looks pretty cool though there is no doubt at all that it looks cool of course looking cool isn't enough to me to me to want to put down two to three thousand dollars i you know that's not yeah coolness is not you can't buy coolness vic you can't <laughs> i mean the Fonzie taught us this, I think. Hmm. Actually, no, I can't. I don't think Fonz taught us anything. Anyway, I think there's a lot of good. people that still need to learn that lesson. <laughs> Damn right. You I know. can't buy cool. <laughs> you just can't. It's either you've got it, you know, or you don't. And I actually have no idea what the hell cool is because I've never been cool my whole life. So there you go. I, I think it's probably safe to assume that we don't got it. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. Okay. So, um, I guess. The the way to start is I just want to talk a little bit about interaction, like how we interact with uh, with computers, and just a little bit from the very beginning. And I know I've covered this before, sort of on previous episodes, but it's important just to have a bit of a, a bit of a refresher, I think, for this to come and come into focus a little bit here, at least for me. And I guess we had to deal with abstraction, you know, with computers initially, because we didn't have any decent touchscreen technology. So back in the beginning, it was 
you had a keyboard because it was analogous to a typewriter keyboard. That kind of made the transition into the virtual world. You press a key, you see something show up on the screen, you know, it's an abstraction. It's not actually a printout piece of paper with that letter on it. It's it's an abstraction. You push the key and then you see something happen somewhere other than the keyboard. You know, if it was a direct interaction, you know, like you go and turn a doorknob, you turn the doorknob, you see the doorknob move. You know, you push the button on a doorbell and the button goes in and you'll see it move. But when you push a key on a keyboard, you see the key move, but you don't mm-hmm. actually see the result of it unless you look somewhere else. And that's, I guess, the, th- the sort of thing is, is a disconnect between what your finger is, is actually what your finger is actually pushing, and what that push results in. And yeah, yeah, it's sort of you know we we kind of extended that right with um with the mouse. And uh, I know it was um uh, it was Xerox Park, and then it was um you know the, the Macintosh was the first one to mass be mass produced that used a mouse, and it certainly popularized it. And mm-hmm. the idea is, of course, you can push a little icon around the screen and you can select the, those items v- visually a whole lot faster than using a cursor and arrow keys on a keyboard. You know, that that's really slow and really cumbersome, right? So mm-hmm. so the mouse was a, a step in the right direction, but it was still abstraction. You know, you're, you're, you're using a, a, a device that's not connected to what you're moving and that level of abstraction means that you're, you're sort of disconnected from what you're doing. It's, it's subtle, but it's annoying. We kind of did it because we had no option. We had no alternatives. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited. You know, when it was the late 80s, I think it was, um, when light pens came around because I thought, oh, that's so cool. You can touch the screen. But you... Yeah. yeah. I never I used any of those. I saw them. I was aware of them, but I never actually used them. I was pretty young at that point. Yeah, I, I played with one of the last light pens um, that I that I can recall, uh, it was actually used on a control system at the Stanwell Power Station and they had mm-hmm. light pens there. That was in 96, 1996 and it was already very, very old at that point and the technology was almost abandoned at that point. But the way it worked was that you had a cord that connected into the, a special adapter for the computer and it had a light-sensitive tip on it. Mm-hmm. And as you would... And the... Uh, yeah, so like it had a hole at the end of the pen and a circle around the outside that was a slight spring load. So what you'd do is you'd sort of like press that on the screen and as you pushed it down, it'd close a set of contacts and signal the interface card to send a flash onto the screen. And what mm-hmm. it did is it did a rapid scan horizontally and vertically. And as soon as the light pen saw like that light indicating back into the light pen... It figured out the time delay X and Y and figured out where on the screen the light pen was. So, yeah, it was kind of cleverish, but the problem mm-hmm. was, of course, you're affected by the scan rate and the accuracy. And yeah. it was also a little bit sluggish. So it was sort of cumbersome. It was tethered. It never really took off. So resistive touch sort of was the first real attempt to do it properly. Uh, but the problem with resistive touch is that you know you could only touch one spot at a time. Mm-hmm. So, but that was that was okay if you didn't mind maintaining pressure. You want to drag something around the screen or draw a line. You just had to keep pressure on it while you did it. And yeah, that was annoying, but it kind of worked. I had I had but, a few phones with that technology. It kind of sucked. Yeah, it did kind of suck, didn't it? I, I had a Palm <laughs> Pilot, and I had a Palm Zire seventy one, and um, yeah, they they both had touch screens, and I also had a Cassiopeia, uh, a Casio yeah. Cassiopeia, yeah. Uh, PDA. And the only phone that I recall that even had anything remotely cool using that technology was the wife once had, it was some sort of LG phone, I don't remember the model number, but it had this goldfish that would come to your finger, and that was about the coolest application I saw with that technology that worked reliably. <laughs> Everything else about the interface sucked. <laughs> so the virtual goldfish was nibbling at your finger. That's kind of cool. It would come to your finger and that worked reliably. The rest of it kind of sucked. Is that like the world's first goldfish that actually you could command and say, you know, like, come here. Like Maybe. you would with a dog. Come here, Maybe. goldfish. It's possible. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, that's kind of cool. But I'll admit, I haven't played, I didn't play with that sort of phone. But I mean, we, I totally agree, though, that it sucked, right? It was pretty shocking. But it sort of laid the groundwork, I think, 
for the next step, which is where it really took a leap. And that was when capacitive touch really took off. And that was just because you didn't need a stylus. And it was just the simplest method. It was the most natural method of interacting with a computer. Because mm-hmm. it was intuitive because you can put your finger on the spot on the screen and it will respond to your touch, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, I say it doesn't need a stylus, but the Apple Pencil's proven that you, you know that a powered or active stylus can be invaluable and makes it even more useful than mm-hmm. a resistive screen with with a, with a good stylus. So you know, I, I suppose the whole point of it was though it's the um, it's a direct um, you're directly interacting with what you see, which mm-hmm. is just like in the real world. In the real yeah. world, again, come back to the door handle. You put your hand on the door handle, you turn it, and it turns with you, just like on a screen. You put your fingers on the screen, you turn it around, and and photos will rotate. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very natural. It's just it feels like that's just the way it was meant to be. You know. So anyway, um, I suppose the problem though with touch input is it comes back to data entry is it may well feel more natural, but in terms of data entry, you, you lose the ability to, you know, do things rapidly. So you can't enter information very quickly. So you lose that speed that mm-hmm. you can get. And this is the thing is that people say, oh, well, you know, touch is, is more natural. Yes, it is. But a mouse is a lot quicker because, and, and so is a keyboard, right? So you can actually use a mouse to move that from one corner of the screen to the other in a fraction of the time it takes to lift and move your hand if it was a touch surface. And that's just by virtue of the fact that the mouse, all you're doing is pushing against a light bit of friction and it amplifies the wrist and hand movements so that you can traverse the entire screen with hardly any effort. And that's the sort of thing that even though touch is better and more natural, you just can't, you can't get past the fact that your, you know, your meaty lump of a limb, (laughs) because it has mass, you know, and momentum, it takes time to accelerate it, slow it down, touch, and then accelerate, slow it down out of the way again. You're never going to beat it. You're never going to beat a virtual mouse, an indirect, a disconnected action. Uh, it's just, yeah. you're just not going to beat it for speed. A keyboard's the same problem uh, or similar problem because your fingers are dangling over the keyboard and you can type a lot faster than that. And even though I've managed to, to get pretty fast, the touchscreen keyboard the tactile feedback of knowing where your fingers are going to be, you can't beat it. You're always looking down at your keys. It's just You can't get away from it on a touch screen. And it will slow you down. Not too much, but enough that it's annoying, right? Mm-hmm. So this is the whole problem. You've got direct interaction and indirect interaction. But uh, more about the mouse, I guess. Um, the downsides of a mouse are comes back to things like, uh, I guess you could call it visual acquisition. So you see the mouse on the screen, right? But you know, it's static, it's not moving. And if you've got a complex background or you've got a lot of crud on your desktop or it's sitting on top of a white window or something like that, you know, sometimes you know how you find yourself wobbling the mouse so you can find the cursor? Yeah. Yeah. I like that new feature uh, that makes it big. That is actually a really cool feature. But that said, Microsoft figured that out like a decade and a half earlier with mouse trails, which I actually thought mouse trails were. <laughs> but the point is that, you know, that that's to address that problem, you know, whereas if you put your finger on a touch screen, it's not an issue. It's instant acquisition, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that wiggling the finger on the trackpad in the, I think, when did they introduce that? Was that LCAP? I think it was LCAP, wasn't it? Uh, it was maybe, before but kind of feels like, I, are you sure? I was thinking maybe it might have been a Sierra feature. No, it's not a Sierra feature. No, it's been around longer than that. I think it, it was LCAP. It seemed like I've been using it for a year. Okay. Well, I don't think. No, I'm, no, I'm pretty sure it was. Maybe it was. I don't know if it was before LCAP or not. But in any case, I guess once your eyes are on the cursor, you, know, you don't have to look away anymore. But, yeah, but then again, once your hand is on the mouse, you can at least feel where the mouse is and you can move it around. Yeah. So then... Another form, another input device that has indirect action-reaction with a mouse pointer is a trackpad. And I like, I used to hate trackpads, but that was before I'd use an Apple trackpad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just, ch- it's just chalk and cheese, isn't it? Yeah, it you really know, is. 
so good, those Apple trackpads. So um, they're kind of unlike a touchscreen because the whole area has no specific, like location-specific feedback. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where your finger is on that area. Um, if you if you take your finger, put it down and put it and draw a stroke for like one inch left, right or up or down within the confines of the trackpad, it has the same impact on the mouse cursor. Mm -hmm. So the mouse cursor moves the same distance. So you don't actually have to look where your finger is on the trackpad before you touch the trackpad. As long as it's in the general area, as long as your finger is roughly in the middle-ish area of the the trackpad, you're fine, you know? So you don't have to go looking for the mouse. As long as you've got a rough idea where the trackpad is, you can sort of hover your your hand above it and just move that mouse around, wiggle it, and away you go. And that's really great, you know? Yeah. So just so then on the keyboards, right, this is all the stuff that's dis, it's, it's indirect, right? So this is all our advantages of indirect. And, and indirect on keyboards I'll sort of t- touched on briefly, but it's more about, I think, the locator keys, you know, like the J and the F keys. With that little, mm-hmm. that little divot, it's either a divot or it's a slight rise or mound on those keys, helps you to find them when you're not looking, right? So. Yeah. It never changes, always in the same spot, so you know where to find your keys without having to look. And that's the key, that's the killer, right? Is it having to look. As soon as you take your eyes off that screen and you yeah. go and look somewhere else, that kills speed and it kills mm-hmm. efficiency. Well, you can't so, just rely on your muscle memory anymore. No, well, that's, I mean, exactly. Because once you go to a touch screen, um, you know, you can't do that, right? Because um, you've yeah. got to look down at the touch screen because you're directly interacting with what you're touching. And that brings us to the touch bar itself. So a little bit about the touch bar first. So it's a new feature that's been added mm-hmm. to the MacBook Pro line, the high-end models only. And I mean high-end. I mean, I really mean high-end because it carries a price premium. It's at least, yeah. it's a minimum of 23% more than the nearest spec MacBook Pro and the ATP guys coined that the MacBook Escape. Mm-hmm. I actually I laughed out loud when I think Marco called it that because I thought, oh, yeah, it, it escaped the touch bar. <laughs> so, that's not <laughs> why he I'm, called I'm it that. I'm pretty sure that's not what he had in mind there, John. No, it's not. I know it's not, but it's just, that's, all, that's what popped into my head. It's like, yeah, it's the one that escaped. Anyway... So the actual um, touch bar itself. So if you haven't seen one, imagine the function row key on your MacBook Pro has been replaced by a very long, narrow touchscreen. Mm-hmm. So this thing is like 60 pixels wide, but it's actually a 2x resolution. So in reality, it's really only 30 pixels wide. But it goes the entire width of that keyboard. Points and, and pixels, you know, John. Points and pixels. Points and pixels. I'm sorry. 30 points, 60 pixels. There you go. And the length, yeah. The, and the length is um, 2,170 pixels or 1,085 points. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially a very long, narrow strip of an iPad screen, essentially. So the concept is no longer do you have a row of a narrow row of function keys that have a fixed function. And reality is they didn't have a fixed function anyway. They had multiple functions. So you, they would either the function keys, like F1 to F12 or whatever. If you had the, the full length, you go up to F19, you know, and you could configure them to do whatever you liked. Or you mm-hmm. could have them just as function keys. Or if you had a virtual machine running Windows, you could have them set just as function keys. A lot of them had dual purposes like forwards, backwards, play, pause, Volume up, down, mute, eject, if you actually had something that you could eject, (laughs) which I I haven't in a long time, but you never know. And then there's things like um, mission control and screen brightness and keyboard brightness. Mm -hmm. But obviously, the the other one key... Don't forget dashboard. uh, (laughs) Dashboard, yeah, dashboard. Yeah, that's handy. And, um, and of course, escape right on the top left corner. Mm -hmm. So all those keys then gone, and now you've got a touch surface. So that's the uh, that's what it is. But the thing that makes it interesting is that it's of course now that it is a screen, it's fully configurable. And because it's mm-hmm. a touch screen, you can make the touch screen not just display information, but you can have it represent uh, touch controls of any kind. It doesn't have to be a button, it could be a slider, it could be well, a bunch of different things. But you know, 
the point is it, they're virtual buttons and it's like a virtual toolbar. And it looks really cool. I mean, there's no question at it all. Does. I think it looks it looks amazing, S- certainly in the imagery and the f- and the photos and everything. But yeah, I guess um, the thing that I have to say is that when I saw it in real life for the first time, in fact, pretty much every time I saw it and played with this thing, I thought it looked a little bit fuzzy. You know, in, in oh, real yeah. life, it, it yeah, it doesn't look as sharp as it looks in the photos. And I don't know if that's just a trick on my eyes, but it just doesn't look as sharp. So I'm not sure why that is. It should. But in any case... I, would, I haven't seen it at all personally, but I would I think it should look pretty crisp. It is retina resolution, I think. Yeah, I know. I'm not sure why. Maybe the backlight, maybe there's a, a treatment on the front, maybe it's a matte versus glossy thing. I'm not sure, but it just doesn't look quite as sharp. I have heard some people in their reviews, either in podcast or in print, one i can't remember but i have heard some people say that it's not very glossy it is kind of matte yeah maybe that's what i'm thinking maybe that's what and I'm i seeing. do know that in the past i i have seen anti-glare screen shields for iphones and stuff and uh, i actually used to use one myself back when i was using just the 3g and as soon as retina screens came out i stopped using them because it just like really muddied up the retina yeah i did it does something to it so i'm not sure if that's what it is maybe it is but in any case, so that's the concept of the touch bar. And I don't want to just talk about the touch bar because I'm talking a lot about touch. So I mm-hmm. just want to quickly touch on those trackpads. <laughs> touch the track. Touch. It's a lot of touching, John. I know. i got to stop it. Hands to yourself, John. Okay. So these trackpads on the new MacBook Pros are huge. I mean, yeah. they are seriously huge compared to yeah. the old ones. Now, I had a 15-inch MacBook Pro only as as recently as three or four months ago. And then I also had uh, a MacBook Air 13-inch before that. My wife still has hers. And honestly, these trackpads are enormous. So just to give you an idea of size, the Magic Trackpad 2, that's the actual standalone Magic Trackpad, Mm -hmm. the newer one, which is bigger than the the original Magic Trackpad. That is 160 millimeters or 6.3 inches wide by 115 millimeters high, and that's 4.5 inches high. Yeah. So the 13-inch MacBook Pro Escape or 13-inch MacBook Pro Touch Bar have identical size trackpads. That's what. So they are. Yeah, they are identical. So 134 and a half millimeters, which is 5.3 inches wide, and 84 millimeters or 3.3 inches high. Now that's 46% bigger than the previous MacBook Pro's generation's uh, touchpad by area. And the 15-inch MacBook Pro touch bar It's is, bigger, right? Uh, yes. It's 160 millimeters or 6.3 inches wide, which is exactly the same width as a Magic Trackpad 2. And it's 103 millimeters or 4.1 inches high, which is just short of the Magic Trackpad 2. And by area, it is 100% bigger. In other words, it's twice the size twice the area of the previous 15-inch MacBook Pro. And as, as I said before, it's essentially the same size as a Magic Trackpad mm-hmm. 2. So you can now get effectively a Magic Trackpad 2 in a laptop in the 15-inch MacBook Pro. I think that that is a fantastic idea. It's great, you know. And I look at it yeah. now. It looks, pretty, my... it looks pretty sweet. Yeah. Especially if and you're it's... into the multi the multi-touch gestures and stuff, the four-finger swipes and the spreads and the pinches. and the- Yeah, exactly right. And it's because you don't have to search for it. You know, it's like it's it's your thumbs, either hand, fingers, doesn't matter. You know where that thing is going to be. You don't even have to move your hand that far away from the center, center line of the Mac in order to actually get to the trackpad and do whatever gestures you want or move the mouse or find the mouse. I think it's great. And honestly... Um, because I figured out palm rejection, I think pretty reliably on iPads. I've, yeah. I've read a few reviews about it. And in my experiences, I tried to trip it up. I rested my hands on it while I was typing. No problems. You know, the palm rejection worked pretty much of the time. I think maybe once it looked like it wiggled the mouse. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, you shouldn't be resting your palms on the damn, on that part of the keyboard anyway. It's bad for your RSI. Yeah. Uh, or if you don't have RSI, Maybe it'll give you RSI. Anyway, well, you shouldn't I'm do sure that. I'm sure it happens a lot. Yeah, naughty people. And I sometimes, when I get lazy, do it. Naughty John. Sorry. 
that's a, I'm apologizing to myself, all my wrists, all my carpal tunnels. Anyhow, so that large, the larger area, it's just so much quicker and easier to acquire what you need um, to get to that mouse pointer and use gestures and everything. And digitizers, you know, for the trackpad, they're not as expensive as they used to be, you know? Mm-hmm. So covering that big area, really not that much extra money. And frankly, I think in the long term, they should just make the entire section below the keyboard a, a, a bloody touch-sensitive trackpad. Why not? You know, what's stopping them? Yeah, that would be kind of cool. It'd be awesome. I'm right? a trackpad. So, I, I like trackpads, so I, I would be really into that. Yeah, but again, it's sort of like it's it's like the modern mouse, you know, because it's an indirect method of manipulation. It's not direct like a touch yeah. screen, but it is sort of, I think it's more or less the pinnacle. But you'll get people that use a mouse and say, oh, you know, a mouse is still quicker than a trackpad. And that's probably true if you're going from one side of the screen to the other. But then again, the larger the trackpad you've got, you know, you can actually, because one of the things I found with the trackpad is you'd have to, sometimes you would have to, it's like three fingers um, click. So three finger clicks and hold, and then you drag your window or your mouse or whatever, or whatever you're dragging, sorry, um, or a single finger drag across the screen if you had drag lock on or if you're trying to, you know, cast a window or something like that around something, you know, sometimes I'd reach to the end and I'd have to like hold my thumb on and then I'd drag another finger across, you know, just, you know what I mean? To continue the touch on it. Yep. I don't know if that makes any sense. I think it does. But anyway, but on the big trackpad, you wouldn't have to worry about that. So yeah. in any case, I guess if I was looking for the ideal portable device, it would have the fastest method of data entry which is a keyboard, like a physical keyboard. It would have the most precise measured method of positioning and selection. And I think that is actually the trackpad. I actually think that is true. It may not be necessarily the fastest, but I think it's very precise and it's really, really easy to use. And the bigger the trackpad, the better. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about what what would the next thing be? You know, because if you think about it, the keyboard itself, like the the alphabetical part and the numerical part of the keyboard, spacebar, shift, maybe tab, you know, yeah. delete, and the arrow keys. Beyond that, you've got a few modifiers in there like your um, command, option, alt, control, that sort of thing. But beyond that, yeah, I can see why they, they ditch the function row, you know, because how often do you really use the function row? You don't, off, don't use it often. You certainly don't use it when you're touch typing, you know? Mm-mm. So if you're going to pick a row to get rid of, you'd get rid of that. In fact, if you're going to get rid of another row, you know, how many people do mass data entry on the numeric keypad row? Yeah. You know, and and, and how many people are actually, you know, using, you know, like dollar hash percent and all that stuff as regular part of touch typing? Yeah. I'd put to you that most people don't. You know, so if they really wanted to go and as minimalistic as possible... Ditch that row too, you know? Yeah. Have you seen that GIF that's floating around the internet of, of MacBook, MacBook Pro keyboards disappearing one yes. row at a time until it turns into an iPad? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Yes. But you see, I know that's a joke, right? I get it. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of funny, but the, the reality is that that's bad <laughs> for another reason. See, I, I thought for a second, you know, would it be better to have an all-touch um, like trackpad on the bottom and an all touch um, touch screen on the top. And I thought, well, that's just, that's stupid because, you know, if you're going to do that, you'd have a touch display on the bottom and a touch display at the top, you know, or a touch display at the bottom and a non-touch display at the top. Mm-hmm. But then you're back to, I don't have locator keys. I don't have, how do I switch my interaction models? You know, it's like, you can't, you can't really have the best of, you can't really have both. So if yeah. you were really going to make the ultimate portable device that has the fastest data entry for keyed typing, the best trackpad for indirect motion, like indirect manipulation, plus have touch capability, would you would your answer be the touch bar? You know, like ditching the function row and ditching the numeric row? Because I wouldn't. Because I don't think that actually having to look down at that touch bar and figure out what key is in what position. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to have to do that anyway, you accept that your function keys, you've got to do that anyway, right? Yeah. The problem I've still got is that you can't 
memorize it. So you can't memorize where escape is because, well, I mean, escape might always be in a very similar sort of position. But the truth is the width of that escape key, the exact position that it starts, you know, it's like, and I do sometimes actually touch some of the function keys, like volume, for example. I'll touch that mm-hmm. by, um, you know, by feel, not by sight. But if they're changing all the time, you don't know what's going to be there. So you can't trust it's going to be there, which means you got to look. And if you got to look, it'll slow you down no matter what. Yeah. So I thought to myself, okay, if I touch those buttons, do they respond to my touch? I mean, what I mean is like, do I directly manipulate what's underneath them? Mm-hmm. If they're normal, if you're not, if they're normal buttons, you don't because your finger covers the button. Yeah, you know, so that's no good. You can't click and drag very much on it. I mean, I think you can shuffle the the indications around, and you've got these little slidey things on it. But most of all, what you're doing when you're using it normally and you're not configuring it is you're actually indirectly messing with what's on the screen. Yeah, but that's what the trackpad's for, and that's what I don't I don't think makes sense. It's like I don't think the touch bar should 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 be part of the keyboard. You know, it should, I think that the touch bar can still exist, right? That's fine. Mm-hmm. But it should just be part of a touch sensitive area on the bottom of the screen because I have to look at the screen. And if I want to do direct manipulation of what I'm modifying, I don't want to move my eyes off the screen. So why not Got have it. the touch bar at the bottom of that screen? and have a strip that's touch sensitive at the bottom that you can actually move those things around and watch them because I'm actually looking at the screen, I'm touching the screen, I'm modifying it on the screen. Mm-hmm. So this whole look, look, touch, drag as opposed to just touch, drag. You know, so if the thing you're touching is on the same display, you can touch and drag it. But now, but the current touch bar, you've got to look, then touch, then drag it and then look back up again to see what it's doing. Yeah. And if your finger slides out of position, you're out of luck. You've got to look back down again. But if it's all on the screen in front of you, you don't. It sort of would end up being a blend between an indirect and a direct action. So my finger's directly interacting with what I'm seeing, whereas the touch bar, it's indirect, but I still have to look at it before I touch yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I think in the I think within the context of the MacBook Pro, your argument doesn't I wouldn't say it's wrong, but I, I'm not sure it's as applicable because it is practically part of the screen. I mean, it's, it's only off by an inch or so. Um, as far as people saying that, that in order for this to, to really get mass adoption and for people to really start using it and integrating it into the way they work, there needs to be some sort of option that accommodates desktops. I would say you're probably definitely right. It should be more close to being part of the screen than attached to like most people I've seen say they want a, a you know a new magic keyboard that's got it integrated into it. Yeah, but the problem, of course, is that you can't guarantee that that keyboard and that touch bar is going to actually be anywhere near the screen. It could be. Yeah, e- exactly. That's what I was saying. Yeah. I, I think your argument really holds up in in that context because, well, in the, in most of the time, you know, in most setups, I would imagine probably ninety five or better percentage of them. The keyboard's probably usually going to be at least a good foot away from the screen, if not more. Yeah, exactly right. So the thing is then, if that's true, then the only thing keeping that touch bar there, the only device it could work on is a laptop. I'm not, yeah. you know, that's the only thing it could work on. Yeah. So the thing that the thing I've, I've got a fundamental issue with, though, is that, you know, if you're saying, well, I have to look down at that part of my laptop anyway, um, if, if I had the touch bar on the vertical plane as opposed to the horizontal plane, it's not much more of a stretch to look, oh, I don't know, an inch or two slightly downwards yeah, or upwards. It doesn't make too much of a difference. But it's not so much about that. It's about the fact that if I'm looking down, I can sort of peripherally see at the very top of my eyesight what's going on on the screen. But if I'm actually looking up, the closer I am to that vertical plane, the less peripheral it is and it's almost in my main field of view yeah and think about this this weird thing about you know dragging icons onto that touch bar when you're doing that whole configuring thing and it's like you drag them down towards the bottom screen they appear and everything it's like well just imagine that would actually work perfectly if it was all on the same screen Mm -hmm. or if it was stitched so it looked like it was all on the same screen even though they're two separate ones yeah that would just be so much better Mm mm-hmm 
So the question is... You don't want to drag buttons down to a detached keyboard a foot and a half away? Well, that doesn't make sense either, right? (laughs) So this is my point, is it should be part of the screen, not part of the keyboard. Yeah, but Apple's not making screens anymore, John. Well, that's their fault. (laughs) That's obviously their fault. That's their choice, good or bad or otherwise. Or routers either, apparently. Well, I've been rebooting my Apple my time capsule that much lately. I have to reboot about once a month because it locks up and there's nothing I can do about it. Hmm. That's okay. That's Never mind. Mine's, mine's still a trooper. I hardly oh, ever have to touch it. Oh, lucky you. My airport express I've got, still works. I've got one of the older ones that's still kind of flat, though. I don't have the tall tower-shaped one. Uh, no, I'm in the same boat. I've got the same, okay. the flat um, square one, too. But just back on this again, um, I guess my problem is that it's just... <sighs> It's like, what exactly have we gained here? We've gained a little bit of flexibility. But I mean, is it really that much? You know, it's it just it feels like we just haven't gained very much. If you really wanted to save space, I mean, what, what are we trying to... Let, let's say we're trying to optimize this. You take the keys that you touch the least, and that's obviously the function keys. Get them off the keyboard. I still think that most people wouldn't care too much about losing the, the number keys. They might get a bit annoyed Maybe it's one of those CD-ROM, DVD-ROM decisions, you know, like it'd take courage or something. I don't, but, I don't think you could call it a pro laptop without number keys, John. Well, I don't think you can call it. Pro, <laughs> I don't think you can call it a pro. <laughs> There's a lot of people that would argue keys. you can't call it a pro laptop at all anymore, but <laughs> you definitely couldn't yeah. without number keys. I, I, I think that the, the people that would miss those number keys is a little higher percentage than than you think. Oh uh, well, yeah, okay, but I mean, my point is that you would. If I still think you could, and I think you could ditch them, and I think you'd be back to basically four rows. And if you move those four keys further up, that would mean you could make this an enormous area all on the bottom half of that of that laptop. All of that would be a trackpad. So you're thinking like a, a touch bar trackpad? No, I'm thinking about no. I'm thinking about you put the touch bar at the bottom of the screen near the hinge. And then you would put a keyboard and you move those four rows starting at the QWERTY row up mm-hmm. as close as you can to that hinge, maybe a little bit of a space for the speaker line perhaps or cooling vents or something. And then at the bottom, you'd have an entire touch surface area for a trackpad that goes edge okay. to edge. Or maybe not edge to edge, maybe with a slight slight border on it, but you know, essentially width, width wise of the laptop minus a few, a few um, you know, fractions of an inch, let's say. And I think that that would be the ultimate expression because what you'd have is you'd have this enormous area for indirect interaction. You'd have an area at the bottom that was a shared space that you could configure the buttons and you could do whatever you wanted with and you could have your key, your less used keys there. And then you would have the, the normal screen. But of course, that is also sort of ignoring what a lot of these full touchscreen laptops are doing right now, Mm -hmm. you know, so I guess I want to talk a little bit about that. So, and and in case you think that I think that Microsoft are doing it right, I mean they're not. But because their trackpads, for example, if you look at the Surface Pro um, or this, you know, Surface Book, the trackpads are horrible. You know, yeah, they're, they're tiny, they're awkward, they're annoying as hell. The keyboards don't sort of offload the rarely used keys to the touchscreen when they potentially could. And, and Windows 10 still has this idea that either you're in touch mode or mouse mode, when in fact the difference between the modes is so marginal, it's essentially pointless, except reality, you know, and your compromise that you've made with your user interface already. Yeah. The hardware battery doesn't last, you know, it's just, anyway, the, the bottom line is that, you know, it's also Windows and my newest Win, Microsoft Windows gripe is in forced updates. Don't get me started on that. Maybe next episode. But anyway, the whole problem with the touch bar is that you need to look before you touch. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a solved problem. It's called physical buttons. So if mm-hmm. you want to ditch physical buttons, you would make them virtual buttons. If you're going to do that, you would go to a more direct interaction model. But the problem is Apple made their choice and they said, you know what? iOS and OS X are not going to cross paths in that interaction model. But they've sort of started to do that with a touch bar. My argument is simply that the position of it doesn't make sense on the keyboard plane. That's all. But if you want to have a reconfigurable keyboard, then you should use a touchscreen. And that's a solved problem. It's called an iPad. So 
you know, and if you want the best, absolute best mouse point, mouse point device, mice have gone pretty much as far as you can and you can't make them portable as part of the laptop. So trackpads ultimately are still your best bet and they're still very good except for the last, the thing about speed. Yeah. And the trackpad was already really good. Making it bigger is great provided, you know, you get the palm rejection right. It looks like Apple have, so that's awesome. So if there are ways you can offload rarely used keys, then use a soft touch screen area. I think that's your best bet rather than make your users look too much further down at the keyboard playing to see where they got to touch. And I just think it's inefficient and I think that they got it wrong. That's all I think. But then again, the flip side of that is if you imagine a screen that's got a strip along the bottom that's touch sensitive and 95% of it above that is not touch sensitive, that is mm-hmm. also confusing. Yeah. You know, that's also confusing. So I don't know... Uh, ultimately, whether or not the touch bar actually makes sense. And the thing is, Apple aren't stupid. You know, Apple, Apple obviously, they believe very strongly in this. They put a lot of money behind the touch bar. They didn't just do it on a whim. You know, they, they actually believe that this is a good thing. But I'll be honest, man, when I used it, it just didn't, it didn't click for me at all. I, I, I don't see that the utility has much beyond novelty. Yeah. And... And it is I don't novel. know. Uh, I've, like I said, I've never, I've never played with one, so I'm not going to pass any judgment on on the the object we're talking about or your judgment of the object we're talking about. But I know most of the reports I've seen from people that are using them, they seem to like them, John. Well, that's fine, and they're welcome to. But I would suggest <laughs> that that isn't going to last. And I would suggest, I would suggest that ultimately, in terms of user interface design, it's one of those confusing crossovers that has some kind of novelty appeal. But the thing is, if it's stuck on laptops, if they're the only things that are ever going to use it, you're ignoring your desktop market. And OS X is a, is, is a desktop operating system. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you on that. I, I think that they do need to, if they really want this to, to be a viable option for, for the masses, they, they have to figure out a way to accommodate the desktop. They absolutely do. And it's not just, and the other thing that, that also occurs to me is that I know, you know, people are sort of saying, oh, this is never going to work if you've got a separate keyboard. And if you've got a desktop, you're going to have a separate keyboard. But on a laptop, you're always going to have your laptop keyboard. Well, yeah. yeah and no, because whenever I use my laptop, if I was in a meeting, if I was on the train, and I don't take the train anymore, but if I was, I'd use it in laptop mode, in which case I could use the touch bar. But mm-hmm. if I was ever at my desk, I would never, ever use that yeah. keyboard I was always plugging into an external keyboard and I and I had my uh, laptop opened up on an elevation stand so that I had that as a screen and I had an external keyboard plugged into two external displays so I had three screens yeah some people clam case them but I don't like doing that because of heat dissipation problems mm-hmm. so ultimately as far as I'm concerned at least um, it just makes no sense because it's a feature that's worth 23% more than the MacBook Escape model and I would only use it a fraction of the time. So I don't, it's just, yeah. and I go, you know, it's, it, my use case is all that matters. No, it's not, obviously. And I, and I think that if people are using it, that's great. I'm happy for them. But, and if they like it, that's awesome. But honestly, for me, I think it's just, it's confusing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, it's a strange hybrid that, that genetically speaking, Darwin will take care of. That's what I feel. It's just not, yeah. I don't yeah. think it's long for this world. You know what I, I think, think I'd it's... like to see for it? What's that? A, a standalone touch bar device. Just introduce a third a third accessory. You know, you've got, you, you've got your wireless keyboard and you've got your wireless mouse. And I think that they should consider a, 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 a wireless touch bar. And it's just think, maybe maybe some sort of wedge shaped thing that could sit nicely on the desk, or maybe even some fancy magnet tech, so that if they hypothetically still had an Apple display, they could make it so that it just perfectly stuck right to the bottom of that screen in a nice place, and people could put it where they wanted to. I think that would be kind of cool. I think that'd be cool as well, but I'm reasonably sure Apple's never going to do that. Yeah, I'm reasonably um, sure they'll never do it too. But I think that that would I, that's what I'd like to see. I mean, you could use that with any. You could use that. You know, if your lap, if you've got an iMac, you could use it. If you've got a Mac Pro tra- trash can that doesn't seem to get updated, you could use it. If you've got a laptop that's in clamshell mode, you could still use it. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting idea, but you know, it just I guess. Um, 
Because I mean, I was looking at the teardown of this and the amount of time and effort that Apple's put into designing it. Mm-hmm. It's got its own processor that deals with it. it it's they, well, it's basically an Apple Watch built, built built into the laptop. I think is what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they put some serious engineering into it, and I and I look at it and I just think to myself, well, frankly, why? And and recently, I was um, recording an a, an episode of uh, of Analytical that'll come out in a couple of weeks' time, and. It's about focus, you know. Um, so if you're not listening to Analytical, you should be listening to it. Have a look at engineer.network forward slash analytical. Anyway, and I was I was doing research on this and I went back to that Steve Jobs thing, uh, the Q&A session he gave famously after WWDC in 1997. So he'd just come back to the company and he'd gone and like trashed a whole bunch of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he gives this three-minute spiel about focus is saying no, which is something that, first moment I heard it, I was like, it stood with me um, in business, um, in life, pretty much um, since hearing that. It's one of those things that he said that's re- really resonated with me. And, you know, he goes on this rant about how, you know, someone asked about OpenDoc. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah what about OpenDoc? It's dead, right? Like I killed it, right? It's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that are upset about that. You know, and it's like he said, well, engineers were going off at Apple doing in different directions, doing arguably interesting things. But there was no level of management that's saying in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit, you know. Yeah. And individually, they made sense. But overall, they made no sense. And this feels very much to me like Apple is sort of heading a little bit back that way. You know, it feels like they're starting to hybridize things and look for something that isn't there. Like they're spending time off on a tangent and it's not working mm-hmm. out. And, and I feel like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not at panic stations yet, but you know, I did sell, I sold my MacBook pro. It doesn't work for me anymore. Um, I had, I got a better offer in a sense. Maybe I should talk about that next episode. But um, the truth is that, I just I feel like this just there's something just doesn't sit right about this touch bar. It hits it hits all the cool buttons, but it just doesn't hit all the practical buttons. And mm-hmm. I just don't uh, I just don't think it's 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 worth it. It's just not worth the money. And that's it. I didn't have anything okay. else really to say. Any other thoughts or comments? Uh, I'm eager to, to try playing with one, and I, I'm curious to see what it's like. I don't know how I feel about having one because. I had kind of decided that my dream machine was going to be an iMac that might possibly get updated one day and, and be modern current hardware. It's not too out of date compared to some of the other stuff, but I was drooling about iMacs and a 5K display for that, and then the touch bar came out, and then I'm like, well, maybe I need to think about another MacBook Pro again. So I don't know. <laughs> well, If the MacBook Pro remains the only way you can have the touch bar to play with, I'll probably end up going that route. Yeah. Just because I'd like to to have access to it, but I don't. I know. think we'll that, see what happens. I, I've heard the argument that you know I'm going to have I'm going to have a Touch Bar because Apple's invested a lot of time in it and it looks like something they're really keen on. Yeah, and it's like that's that's an interesting argument to put down an extra what five six hundred dollars for no other benefit. It's like it's. That's quite a chunk of change just for, yeah, we're doing it because Apple uh, looked like they're keen. Yeah. You know, and I refer people back to OpenDoc. They seem to be keen about OpenDoc. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know it's I, I know it's chalk and cheese and I know the different things. I get it. I get it. I totally do get it. But seriously, I mean, I guess time will tell. I mean, in two or three years' time, maybe it'll be everywhere. Maybe everyone will love it and all the other machines out there will look like dinosaurs because of it because they don't have it but i don't know and then i guess i'll i'll eat my words at that point um and you know claim chowder and whatever but i don't know claim, it's just something chowder. claim chowder yeah so i don't know we'll see i mean not doom and gloom predictions just yeah i don't know it doesn't it mm-hmm. just feels off Anyway, if you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi or you can follow at Pragmatic Show to see show announcements and other related stuff. Pragmatic is, of course, part of the Engineered Network and you can check out the network and all of its shows at engineered.network anytime you like. 
Causality has really taken off. It's a solo podcast that I do, and it looks at cause and effect of major events and disasters that have occurred in history. So if you're a fan of this show, you may like it as well. So make sure you check that one out. I mentioned analytical before. Both causality and analytical episodes, they're about 10 to 30 minutes each. So they're pretty easy listening, easy on the ears. So not a huge time commitment. So why don't you go uh, go check them out when you get a spare 10 or 15 minutes. And if you'd like to get in touch with uh, Vic, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? They can find me on Twitter at VicHudson1. Fantastic. And if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, please use the feedback form on the website. That's where you'll also find show notes for this episode. If you're enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, the best way that you can do that is to back us on Patreon. Uh, Like one of our backers has, uh, Chris Stone, he and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon, and you can find it at patreon.com slash johnchigi, all one word. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, it's all very much appreciated. A special thank you to our patrons and a big thank you to everyone for listening. And as always, thanks for coming on, Vic. Thanks for having me, John. No worries, mate. Now, stop touching that bar. You don't know what I'm touching here. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Took it to the next level again. I really do. I I really would like to see that standalone touch bar. They're not going to do it, I don't think it'll ever happen. I know it's a pipe dream, but that's what I'd like to see. It's like totally a pipe dream. Pipe, pipe dream, bream, pipe, tripe, dike, glah. Yeah, I know what you said. I just my mouth, my mouth lips didn't cover around the word thing. I can't get no focus.